0: Luca Kawabata is a recent graduate of the UBC School of Music Opera Performance Program. He is incredibly wise, cool-tempered, focused, and he is one of the many young artists getting ready to enter the professional world of performance. He joins me in conversation to discuss his journey so far as a musician, his hopes as a young artist, and what it means to be a millennial in 2020. Welcome, Luca. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. How's quarantine been treating you? How I mean, I know the last three months haven't been uh, particularly easy for uh, every anyone, uh, but uh, have you been doing anything fun? Um, what's your routine been like?
1: I feel incredibly blessed to be in Vancouver during all of this because just looking to the east, looking to the south, I think we're very lucky with how our local government has been handling things and it has really been reflected in the number of cases in um, the greater Vancouver area. Um, In terms of quarantine, it's honestly been fine for me. Having a disruption of your everyday routine is always going to be kind of uncomfortable. I think it was kind of a, abrupt in that I was ending my final semester of my academic career after many, many, many years in university. And just one day it was like, go home, please never come back again. I have this ongoing joke where I, I talk to like everybody in customer service about this. Not that I'm like frequently f- frequenting a bunch of places, but I'll just like go into a shop on main and, have this conversation where people are like, "No one really knows what is going on, but everyone is just trying to act like they know what's going on and like just try to make the best <laughs> the most of it
0: they It's literally faking it till we make it um so you mentioned that uh the abrupt end of um school put a kind of a kink into the celebration of you finishing a extremely long stretch in school. How did your journey to uh to music and opera begin because I I know that that wasn't your you have an undergraduate degree in a in a different field. And so yeah, how how did you get into music and ultimately opera?
1: I I didn't grow up in necessarily a super musical family. I was also I was always encouraged to pursue kind of like every avenue of interest but music wasn't necessarily central to my family as I hear um, over and over in colleagues of ours that like their parents were singers or their parents just like really enjoyed music so it was always in their life that wasn't my story I was encouraged to do music I did a lot of musical theater growing up And I sort of bounced around between voice teachers as well. And at the end of my high school, I was with one voice teacher for, I want to say, about a year and a half. And she was really stressing classical music to me. And I competed in a couple of my first competitions as well, and very low-stakes competitions. But uh, I ended up moving to Ontario for my first degree um, and it which is in civil engineering and I did finish that degree but what sort of happened mid degree was that I realized that I wasn't as invested in that as a bunch a lot of my colleagues so I really was envious of that feeling and I had a friend um, who I knew through high school who was in the program at UBC so I started Researching and familiarizing myself with it and kind of not necessarily thinking that I wasn't going to use my degree at all, but just kind of allowing myself the opportunity to branch off in a different direction. So I um, ended up meeting with Nancy Hermiston at UBC Opera and talking uh, one summer about it and she was very intrigued of about my story um but i ended up in my last year at queen's is where queen's university in kingston which is where i did my first degree i um sort of did half engineering courses to finish up my requirements and then did half music courses which was good because i didn't have a lot of background oh funny story so i really had no um theory background at all and that was like so daunting to me in order to get into this one theory course at queens i had to have a sort of prerequisite of rcm uh rudiments which is like nothing like if you like think of it in terms of like the amount of theory that you learn oh in, yeah a music it, it,
0: comparatively it's absolutely nothing
1: yes yeah. But I ended up doing that and studying all summer. Walk into the exam room and it's me and like a bunch of (laughs) five-year-olds. And I'm like, Luca, you're just doing this for a goal? Like, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, so I ended up doing that and then I went straight from one degree and I was accepted into ebc so i started my degree at ebc and uh six years later here we are and i've done a whole bunch of operas and a whole bunch of roles and i've grown as a human and as a musician and um everything else as well hopefully <laughs>
0: Going to UBC in the opera ensemble, there's no shortage of concerts, productions, and and just performance experience for any student. Is there one or a couple that stand out to you as you f- close this chapter of your life?
1: They all kind of build on each other. You, get, you have a small goal, and then you create another goal based on that, and it, it keeps building on each other. And that's what I really love about this industry is that you the education never stops and you never stop trying to be better than you are as well. Absolutely. Um, but three that I'd say really stick with me are my, um, we performed Silent Night uh, composed by Kevin Putz and I sang the role of Lieutenant audebert who was the French Lieutenant and it really gave me an opportunity to really connect with contemporary opera, as well as uh, working with the the conductor for the, that production, Robert Wood. Mm-hmm. He, it was such a great, collaborative environment mm-hmm. where he, we would have discussions about the character and different phrasing within the score, and that is like at the core of what I love about singing. Yeah is that everyone has a an opinion, everyone has um, different motives about things, and so that's, like, the best thing of that. Like, you can do something different every single time you do it. Just recently, this past February, we, um, UBC Opera uh, did the the Canadian premiere of um, Passagerka, which is uh, The Passenger, uh, by... Um, Weinberg. And uh, it was the story of um, World War Two, but from the perspective of um, a former SS officer. I, I really appreciated that the women were so highlighted in uh, this production as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the male roles were smaller, but even having that small opportunity to kind of create something special yes um i it it was kind of this thing it's like i people were asking me what i was singing in it and i was like well i'm singing the largest baritone role which (laughs) is tiny compared to what the women were asked to do so i was just applauding them every day but um that as well was such like it's such a rewarding thing and like being a part of a show that has so much emotional weight yes. and wanting to make sure that you do that justice as well.
0: There is a specific, um, uh, woman's chorus where, uh, at least the way that professor Hermeson, uh, um, staged it. They were in the, in the, uh, the, the barracks, uh, that, yeah. uh, that the, the, um, uh, that the prisoners were held in and they were all singing. And I had goosebumps the entire time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I obviously can't speak for those who have had family go through that experience, but on an art- artistic level, on a, on a level where um, you're trying to send a message um, uh, of history, um, it, it was a really incredibly powerful work. Um, uh, on, I have to make a note of the orchestration. The orchestration was my favorite. Because huge orchestra, huge also. orchestra, but it was the first time that, that I've experienced an opera where the orchestra was there, but but it was there in a in. I know the music is always there in a supporting role, but it was. I don't know how to explain it. It was... It was it, another character. It was another... That's exactly it. It was another character. It wasn't just there for the sake of being there because it was an opera. It was a totally another character to the whole exactly. piece. Yeah. And
1: how often do you get uh, to do an opera that has a saxophone in the
0: pit? Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> it. I was like, I was listening to it at one point. I'm like, this is really jazzy. Um, yeah, exactly. I like this. Mm-hmm. Um, very yeah. cool.
1: And just to add to that... Just so I don't look like I'm just a contemporary opera fanatic. <laughs> I really had a professional and emotional kind of like milestone when I sang the, the title Rowan Don Giovanni because it's it's really kind of like one of those end goals that people have. Yes. In one of those operas. And I I love Mozart to death. And I, every dress rehearsal, every production that we had, every sorry, every show that we had, I after I would be dragged down to hell. I'd be sitting back at the back of the stage when the rest of the characters were doing the finale, just being like, I wish this could go on forever.
0: I also wanted to congratulate you on your acceptance to a young artist program. Thank you so much. Of course. Um, for those who are listening, young artist programs in the world of uh, opera are the equivalent to highly coveted internships at, uh, at an important company. Um, they're used, they're the usual pathway for opera singers to take um, as a next step to establishing themselves and jump starting jumpstarting their careers. Um, so, I wanted to ask how that experience was for you. I always kind of had it
1: on my radar as I was going into my master's uh, because I kind of tried to familiarize myself with the process that other people who were graduating, what steps they were taking, and it's, I was very lucky, at least I, my my first audition that I had um, was for um, L'Opéra de Montréal and um, Chantal and Marie-Ève who were um, conducting those um, auditions were just so nice. So it really set the precedent uh, for my approach to auditioning, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah, totally. Um, Because not that I think that I would have been like scarred by having a bad experience, but it's, it's just nice to be like, Okay, walking into my first audition. Oh, like people want to hear me sing. That's great. That's <laughs> that's good. So, um, I I did a few auditions in um, Canada and some in the states, and it was really my my only goal. Really, was to just kind of like audition as much as I felt like I could and familiarize myself with the process because it's not the kind of thing that is a one-time occurrence. No, you need to,
0: you need to get used to it.
1: Exactly. You need yeah. to get used to meeting people and selling yourself and um, knowing that you're not going to be at your peak every day, every audition Yes, as well. So being able to kind of like do the audition, uh, do what you can and wipe that slate clean as well. If people know that it's not a case of, like, you need to be prepared before you go on. You need to, like, be prepared musically, absolutely. That is, like, just fundamentals.
0: That's rule number one. But you...
1: There isn't a time when you all of a sudden are ready to do this. And my greatest advice would be if you can learn the strategies of auditioning and just get practice in that. It's like an entirely other craft in itself. Your audition package doesn't necessarily have to be set in stone. Is that It's kind of standard for, for any listeners who aren't familiar. Um, you go into an audition with five pieces, you pick the first and then the auditioners uh, pick the second if there's time. Um, but those five don't necessarily have to be the be all and all of your um, audition career. Yeah. <laughs> that you, can, you should be learning new uh, works and adding them, changing them out, figuring out what is best for this opera company. And this is just from my limited view, having done one season of auditions. <laughs> but I think <clears throat> if people can go into auditions being excited to sing for people and wanting to be there to collaborate and not try to stress themselves out with the pressure of being like i need to be the absolute best singer here Mm -hmm. or this is a failure and why why am i here that is my greatest advice just enjoy what you're doing and think about why you started singing in the first place
0: Our incredible uh, producer for this podcast, Duncan, um, uh, wrote a post yesterday on Facebook and I I mean I, I just looked it up on my phone and I wanted to quote him because I think I've been having oh, I've been wanting to write something um for 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 a long time, since since um over the last couple weeks. And I've had a really difficult time and I was talking to him about it and he said it, it's hard because it's messy. Um and it's, it's not something you can easily put into words. But I think in, in regards to our art form, um, our medium, I think he said it best. And I, and I, and I just like to quote him quickly. He said, um, he says, stop asking why classical music is dying. It's dying because all we're doing is fetishize, fetishizing the work of people who died 193 years ago. Um, program black composers, program indigenous composers, program POC performers, hire LGBTQ+, hire BIPOC staff, musicians and conductors. Um, program challenging works, piss off conservative donors and find new ones, play beautiful, complex and haunting works like this one. He's making a reference to um composer Joel Thompson, uh, who in our previous episode, um, we touched on his work, um, The Seven Last Words of the Unarmed. Um, and what our generation and what did you call them? The... The what Gen- Zillenials. the zillennials. <laughs> uh what the zillennials look like because we are significantly more diverse in every way um than our previous generation. And that that th- that is no fault to our parents' generation or generations before. It's just the times are different and we are we're wanting more. We're wanting more of our society.
1: I um have heard it uh, a few times and I've never necessarily let it Sink into my psyche too much, but uh, very successful uh, singers in this industry saying, like, oh, I think that my generation is the last to be able to make this a career. And I thought, I was thinking about this yesterday and today a lot, where <clears throat> I was thinking, sure, like, maybe, yes, you are the last generation to have this career in opera, but. We will have a career in music that is our own identity as performers and as um, creators and as artists because it doesn't, music is not going to stop. That's not something that is fathomable. Um, It's just going to evolve. And whether that means going to smaller venues where people feel like they're actually a part of it and not just a, a number in the audience. Or it's, it's one of the things like, <laughs> if I can uh, add something like personal, it's like, I, I get very frustrated where people are kind of like, the, all of media is like, things won't sell unless we have a, a majority of white um, representation. So but incredibly frustrating. It's so frustrating yeah. because I even look at myself, and I'm um, my father is Japanese, my mother is Caucasian, and I really see my generation, our generation, as the first kind of generation where people who look like me are common, and it's frustrating because unless I'm. Portraying someone else, I'm never going to have a story about me shown in a history book, like or like be do do a historical reenactment of someone who looks like me. Yes, because it's it's new because the world is evolving, mm-hmm. and people want to see people like them represented on stage and support that. So it doesn't necessarily. I would hope that these things would um, become popular in like a a grand scale. But I think our art form personally is moving much more to indie opera and small scale venues where it's not, it doesn't break the bank to put on a production.
0: Yeah, that's, I honestly, um, I was having this conversation with another friend um, a couple days ago. I, I think you're you absolutely hit it on the the nail on the head where I think one of the greatest blessings that um, this whole quarantine process um, will eventually uh, draw out is um, opera, in essence, going back to its roots. Okay. Um, and instead of opera being. Perform kept being capital exactly being capitalist it'll go back to its humble roots of being for the people yeah. um and uh just like it was 400 years ago um in in small uh enclaves um where people came together and performed it, it'll it'll go back to that i i loved going to the met um the metropolitan opera in new york it, it was one of the most incredible experiences i have ever had um but it was big. I felt lost. Um, it's it, one of the things, I, we're going back to UBC Opera here, but one of the things that I love about the old auditorium is, sure, it's a 525-seat, 27-seat theater, but you're intimate. You're there with the singers. And and especially as a graduate, as an alumni, having, being able to come back and see my colleagues and my friends perform over the last couple of years it's been an absolute joy because it's, it's brought back an intimacy that um, I thought was, was lost. Um, and I hope that as things progress, we go back to that a little bit and, and educate and expose a younger generation of musicians and young musicians and, and just audience members to the beauty that is this art form this ever evolving art form.
1: Yeah. I, I think um kind of the bottom line is that people in any kind of performance and any kind of art want to feel captivated and drawn in to that. And so the problem with um, opera um, oftentimes is that people feel excluded because of the language, because of the sort of like class association of it. I'm a huge language nerd. So that's like the, my favorite thing about it. But um it it feels very isolating sometimes. My mo- non musical community that I've I've they've always always been very willing to come, but although all for lack of a better word, I've made them come <laughs> too. Um <laughs> have always been on topics that they feel um apply to them as well or they can tend tangibly relate to. Yes. And so that is, I think, the most important thing, that not necessarily doesn't have to be in one language or the language that they understand. Because, mm-hmm. like, for example, Passenger was in five, six languages, mm-hmm. and I don't think that that was necessarily disruptive to a lot of the audience. It it really comes down to um, creating that connection. Yes. And though people often talk about music as kind of a universal language mm-hmm. i think in a theater setup it goes beyond that yes in in, in feeling included and seen mm-hmm. in in the in the art
0: luca thank you so much um for speaking with me today um it's it's a joy all the time to to Get to grab, uh, have coffee with you, and, and just chat. Um, and I really sincerely hope we get to do that again soon. When you need more caffeine.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, that's always so. <laughs> I really appreciate you having me on on the podcast and letting me just kind of ramble and talk about politics and talk about music because I think um, everything kind of intersects, and it's important for people to see the kind of change that they can provide in this world, in yes. this new world that we're building here.
0: As always, thank you to Mr. Duncan Watts-Grant for editing and producing the show. I can honestly tell you that it has been an incredibly rewarding and educational experience for the both of us, and we both look forward to many, many episodes to come. Thank you for listening.